Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. Hey, everybody. Al Sacco and Zane Nakvi here with you on the 10th official episode of the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. As we navigate our way through what's really the slow time of the NFL calendar right now, but Zane, 10 shows, is this, are we like a successful podcast now or what? Um, you know, if we keep getting guests like the guy that we have on today, I think, I think we'll be a pretty successful show. So uh, hopefully the future is bright for us. Yeah. And speaking of successful podcasts, our, our guest today worked for the 49ers for the better part of a decade, and he's currently the host of Taylor Price Talk. And we're thrilled to have on today, Taylor Price. Taylor, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate oh, it. No problem, man. We really appreciate the time. Wanted to talk a little bit with you in, in the first question. You were with the 49ers for so long. I think it was July 2009 you started with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen four coaching regimes. You've seen Singletary, Harbaugh, Tom Sula, Kelly. Who was your favorite coach to interact with and, and maybe who was the most difficult? Yeah, wow. Um I mean, I think it's kind of an obvious one <laughs> if you, uh, I mean, yeah, the wins and losses really reflect how people felt and reacted. There's a lot more tension when you're losing. So easily favorite coach to interact with would be, would be Coach Harbaugh. And we spent the most time with him too, uh, four years of my nine seasons. Uh, I was there in 2008 also as an intern with Coach Nolan. So um, got, I got an opportunity to interact with a lot of guys, but I would say, uh, Harbaugh was just super memorable and, and gracious to get on my podcast and talk about some of our experiences working together. But I, I go on until uh, hours of, of anecdotes and memories of, of working with him and how he just made everything uh, more exciting. And, and you never knew what was going to happen next, but you, you also respected and, and understood that whatever he was doing, it wasn't with an, an ego agenda. It was with ultimately trying to win. He was the ultimate competitor. So really enjoyed uh, my interactions with him and consider him a friend and someone that uh, w- would definitely like to uh, work with again someday. But the uh, the worst coach or the hardest coach to interact with would probably be uh, Coach Kelly and more so because he just came and went super fast. Uh, coach Tom Sula was there as a as a assistant coach, a defensive line coach. So I had plenty of good memories with him sitting around the tables talking uh, at different meals and stuff like that. So I had a good working relationship with, with Tom Sula and was, you know, wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but clearly that, that didn't work out. So um, that was a move that was necessary to make. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. So that's a whole different topic, but <laughs> Coach Kelly was hard to get, hard to, hard to get a feel for. And you never really knew where you stood with him. And he really was there so short of a time that I didn't really have I think I had a conversation with him at the combine and the only other times we spoke was when I asked him questions at uh, press conferences. So uh, not much of uh, a, a rapport with him, but uh, definitely Harbaugh, as you would expect, great times with him. Tom Sula had some fun times, but that was more so because I worked with him for so long. And then uh, coach Kelly was uh, a different, a different experience. It did in, in Zane, sorry. I know, I know Zane was, was about to jump in with a question, but I just have to ask, with Harbaugh, did did anything change in the 2014 his, his de- demeanor, his attitude, anything when there was all that drama or supposed drama with with Jed York? Did he did he change at all, or was he still pretty consistent with you? 
No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, when you were around coach, you just you knew that he was intense. You knew that he was focused. He was he was from point A to point B, uh, trying to maximize his time. He wasn't picking out outfits. He wasn't um, BSing in the hallways. He was very deliberate with what, what he was doing. But I wouldn't sense that there was any. Um, you know, weirdness or anything like that. I mean, there was times when he, I would go into his office and I'd, we would talk about certain things and he was always friendly and approachable with me and, and with Scott Kegley and the, and the guys we worked with. Like, there was never any rumors or whispers about, like, what's up with Coach? Like, no, he was very, like, easy to work with. I mean, I wouldn't say easy is not the right word. I would say he was just very consistent with what he would like to work with. Um, other people have probably different experiences because of his willing or his eagerness to win and his competitiveness. And I would just say the change was probably due to them not figuring out a negotiation or a, a new contract. And Coach Harbaugh, these some of these top tier coaches, they're worth every penny. The Nick Sabins, the the Pete Carrolls, uh, culture difference makers, guys who really bring the best out of not just the, the players, but the front office, the executives, the support staff, um, these people are worth top dollar. And if, even if Jim Harbaugh hadn't won a Super Bowl, he helped Levi Stadium get built. He helped change, uh, reinvigorate the, the 49ers brand. And he was worth every penny. And the fact that he wasn't being uh, given a lucrative contract, making him one of the highest paid coaches was, was a colossal mistake. And they'll regret that. But, the point is that uh, it was uncomfortable because you knew that he wanted to be um, with the 49ers. He wanted it on his own terms, and the ownership was not willing uh, to let him be the superstar. They wanted to, to rein him in, and you can't rein in greatness from people that Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, just these alpha male coaches, and it's just impossible to do. Hey, Taylor Zane here, and um, you've probably been a part of a lot of really funny and cool behind the scenes stories are are there any stories that you can kind of share with us that uh you've experienced you know like just being behind the the, the walls of the 49ers uh headquarters is there anything that you could shed some light on that uh would be kind of interesting or funny yeah i mean i have i have like nine years worth so it's, it's a matter of like <laughs> who do you want to hear about it's like to pick one memory or moment um, or like funny thing that happened. I mean, I gotta, I gotta rack my brain, but if you say someone you want to hear like stuff about, like I could think more specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just have lots of fun experiences and memories of what it was like uh, when the team was losing and how the team turned it around. And then obviously at the end when it, when it got worse. So and is there anyone in particular you'd like to know about? Like that might help me narrow uh, maybe this sort of storytelling portion. Harbaugh stories are all, I, I can't, I can't hear enough Harbaugh stories. So any, any, anything with him would be great. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Harbaugh stories. Well, one thing I really enjoyed about coach Harbaugh was that, you know, it was, you felt like you were speaking, you know, there's a difference between talking to like the head of the company and like talking to coach Harbaugh, like coach Harbaugh coaches in the NFL have such a mystique and such a, a, a power they are essentially the CEO because if the coach wants um, the, the team to be on this side of the field and not that side of the field, well, the Niners are going to be on that, that side of the field. But it was it was designed that the 49ers would walk out of the, the hallways and greet all the fans in the club spaces, and then that would be their bench. But Coach Harbaugh didn't want the team to be in the sun during the game. He was wise enough to understand that we need our team to be in the shade, on the shaded side of the field. So if you see the photos of the pregame at, at Levi Stadium, 
the Niners will go through the tunnel, high five all the fans, the, the expensive seats, the people that pay good money for those seats, and they'll still be on the other side of the field. And that's all credit to Coach Harbaugh realizing that, hey, the fans don't want to be in the sun. We don't want our team and our coaches to be like burning in the sun all day. So um, I bring that up because a lot of what the coach wants or needs, everyone caters to it. And, you know, there were some demands and things that the coach wanted. And I'm sure over the course of time, it was, oh, uh, can we can we continue doing this? Can we continue making every request happen for him? Um, and they tried, to, they tried to acquiesce with, like, Chip Kelly wanted to stay at Central Florida in Orlando between two games that were meaningless. And coaches have that power. They can, If you want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to uproot your facility and stay at a college campus for a week, like, that's going to happen. So I bring all that up because Coach Harbaugh had that authority, and, and when there's projects or assignments or things that you have to do, you jump at it with the enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And, and for me, uh, one of those random odd jobs, you could say, was I somehow got, I was, had a good relationship with our football assistant coach, um, Bill Mays, and got roped into making the playlist for practices and figuring out which songs, which which kind of play music we would be listening to at practice. And so for a couple of seasons, I think it was like 2011, 2012, uh, maybe a little bit of 13 that I would make the, I was downloading the music. I was making the playlist. And because I was doing that, because I was trying to help the team get ready, get prepared for games, uh, I got one of those blue collar shirts with my name on it. And that's something I still keep to this day as a, <laughs> a source of pride. Like um, they didn't give that out to everyone. Like not everybody in uh, video production or um, game day management or social media, you know, it was a very slim number of people that got those shirts and that was because they were directly, you know, involved with helping the team. You were the team, the team, the team, all those fun phrases. So um, Harbaugh had a, a strong presence in, in how people operate within the organization. They made their, well, you know, made it known that these are the things they have to do. If, if Harbaugh is, so you're being asked to do something for coach, like you you make sure you do it. So um, me being the team DJ for a little bit was, was kind of fun. And, <laughs> All those songs still uh, pop up on my on my iTunes from time to time, and I'll have a laugh. Like Harbaugh's favorite song is called "The The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald," and I don't know who sings it, but it's like this very <laughs> wartimey song about like a sort of a, a navy a navy story. So that every pops up, I always think of Coach. So uh, a lot of those, those funny random classic rock songs, and then I have all these hip hop clean. And I was also clean version. Coach didn't want to hear any. Uh, curse words on the practice field. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a eclectic mix on my on my, uh, my my music, and a lot of it's due to stuff I was downloading for the Niners. I still have the shirt, my my blue collar DJ shirt, uh, to to uh, remember it all. Now, I thought <laughs> J- Jimmy Tomsula was was such a great defensive line coach for them, and and he really was, and they missed him when he wasn't the defensive line coach. Did he get a bad a bad rap as the head coach? Did he seem as overmatched as his fans thought he was, or, or was it just just a bad rap for him? Well, here's how here's how I would say it. So, whether you or I are ready for a promotion at work, um, if someone offers you to be the head of the company, like we just talked about, how the head coach is essentially the CEO of football operations. I mean, you could say the GM, but let's 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 be realistic. If someone offers you that position, you would be a fool to say, I don't want it. I don't think I, I'm ready for it. I can't take it. And Coach, coach Tom Sula is a football coach. He comes from 
you know, a unique background that many people clowned him for and living in his car with his cats and selling rugs and, do, you know, all that stuff. But that speaks to who he is. The fact that he could say, I was a head coach in the NFL, like, nobody can take that away from you. He earned that right. Like, did it go down shady? Was it a weird promotion? Yeah, but you can't fault him for stepping up to the plate and saying, like, I think I can do this job. Like, no, I would never be mad at him for that. I wouldn't say he was overmatched. I would just say there's a couple combinations of things. The team, the the, the players on the field really weren't up to up to par with what the team had under the Harbaugh years. You know, you had Alden Smith crash his car and and basically just start to really go down just downhill and not be a presence on the field. Then you had Kaepernick not really there, just really struggling as a quarterback, um, trying to figure out where he fit with the team, with the offense. The coaches, the the coordinators, Eric Mangini, G. Chris, like no one's – they're not working in the league right now for a reason because somebody, if they're really coveted, would, would give them a fat contract and they'd be working. So and all those things add up. I'm not going to sit here and be apologized for Tom Sewell. The other part, too, is he just micromanaged. There's a lot of little things um, that he shouldn't have been so concerned about that he was. And you have to delegate. It's, it's a tough job. You can't be packing people's uh, – bags for the road and and, and not that I'm saying he was the you know equipment manager but he liked to do those sort of things to show that he was one of the guys and I think you have to delegate responsibility and really allow people to do what they can um time clock management game management player management all those things he could have been better at and that all that all those faults add up when you don't have the players the coaching staff is so-so and and not really bringing new innovative ideas and then you have a defensive line coach who really is comfortable in that way. He's not, doesn't represent well, doesn't speak uh, appropriately at the press conferences, all those things. And I'm sure he got self-conscious. I'm not saying for him, but it had to be tough to go home and, and see what people were, were making fun of him. And, you know, so I think he's in a, he's in a better situation now with, with Washington. He can fall back, do what he loves to do and, and just be a good football coach. And there's nothing wrong with, uh, with that. I think he can, be fine and still make a great career and still tell everybody at the end of the day, I did coach for the San Francisco 49ers. Only 20 some people have done that. And that list is, is increasing over the years, but um, there's no shame in that. I think it was a matter of, he got dealt a wrong hand. He stood up and said, I can do it. And that's the pridefulness of him that he probably should have said, you know what? Uh, we should keep coach Harbaugh and just give me a nice raise and, and let's, let's try to make this thing work. So Taylor, we, we kind of talked about, Tom Sula and Chip Kelly and, and Harbaugh's departure. Whose whose fault was all that? Because we hear about all these sorts of stories where it was Jed York and and Trent Balky and and a combination of the two and like Prague's name got floated in there too. So whose fault was all of this really? Is there really a definitive person that we can pin this on? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would. It's ultimately Jed's fault. It's his. It's his team. Um, but. It, I mean, I think a lot of the issues lie with Trent, and Trent was a hard person to, you know, really get a get a, a rally around. Like, there's certain people when times are tough, and you see them, and they say something to you that you, you know, you want to go the extra mile for him. I just don't think that people really bought into what Trent was selling. Like, they knew that he was empowered. They knew that he was a, a big factor in what was happening there. But I think the little chasms, the little issues that were happening with Harbaugh, like people looked at Trent like he was a made man. And every time there was whispers of like, oh, we're changing a coach, we're changing, like nobody expected Trent to ever get let go. And the fact that 
that went down the, the week before the, the final or the night before the final game. It was like, wow, this is really happening. Trent was there when Jed York joined the organization. Jed was, you know, they gave him some sort of random title where they made him like a special projects manager. And he, you know, was famously working in the equipment room, folding up jock straps or whatever the hell he was doing to like, you know, not to not be the, the spoiled heir apparent. Like he had to earn his stripes, uh, so to speak. So Trent was there as an area scout or whatever he was under, under Scott McLuhan. He was there with Jed the entire time. So these two were basically groomed and rose through the ranks uh, together. And it's hard to, to cut ties with somebody that basically you've known for your entire professional football career. And so Jed felt comfortable with, with Trent. Um, it was, he was a guy that he looked to for advice, whatever, what have you. And I'm sure there wasn't a lot of people telling Jed, like, hey, Trent's the issue. You need to get rid of, rid of Trent or keep the coach. The coach is more is going to do us better in the long run. And they probably were really enamored with early draft picks, like Anthony Davis, Navarro Bowman, Mikey Potty. Uh, those are great picks. And then you get Colin Kaepernick and Alden Smith and Culliver. And uh, some of those early picks in uh, 2010, 2011 really bought Trent Baalke way too much time and too much comfort. And I think ultimately – the team lost its talent because they weren't able to attract free agents. They, and they, their draft picks after 2011 really panned. They were, they were pretty terrible. And Jed was too friendly with Trent. He wasn't willing to detonate and blow it up. And I think that ultimately you're seeing it now. The last few years, he's got, trigger, he's got his finger on the trigger, and he's not taking it lightly. Um, but uh, ultimately, he just he let that relationship and that comfort level with Trent Baalke lasts too long. And now I think that they have new voices, new people, and as long as Prague's there, Trent, or at least Jed has somebody that he feels really close with and comfortable with that can sort of keep that legacy of early, mid-2049 or front office people still in powerful roles. So, Taylor, moving to the kind of away from the front office and, and more towards the players, Who's your favorite player to interact with? There, there were a lot of really, really good players on those teams. A lot of leaders, Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, Frank Gore, Justin Smith. All of these guys were, were really, really good leaders. Alex Smith, you can even say as well. Vernon Davis. Who was who your favorite player to interact with on those teams? Yeah, you know, I mean, all those, all those people you named were, were, were great guys in, in unique ways. And I wouldn't say any of them really went out of their way to, to, to give me a hard time. I mean, my job was, it's funny because like when you get in the league, you are whatever you need. Like I'll do it. And then once you start having success and understanding that you don't need to say yes to everything, like it totally changes, which is why you'll see the Joe show be really popular for the first like handful of years. And then all of a sudden Staley realizes like, I don't need to like go around the locker room and, and entertain the video staff. I can just like make money and do my own thing. So um, guys over the course of time, get a little tougher to deal with, but they're all pretty nice guys. They're all pretty, pretty friendly and willing and understanding that we're there to help, you know, bring attention to them in a positive way. The player that I really enjoyed uh, my interactions with the most, I would say is Crabtree. And um, the reason why is because, you know, 2008 was my, my internship year. So there was Vernon, there was Frank, there was Pat. I still have like really, you know, respect for them because I saw what they had to get through uh, from the Nolan Singletary years to get to those, those heights. The Crabtree for me was a guy who was, was I really enjoyed watching him in college. I was really excited when we drafted him. He held out. All these people were hating on him. Like didn't think he was worth a damn. And ultimately, my job was to try to get people to like understand who this guy was. And he was 
he was quiet. He was shy. Like he just did his own thing. He didn't really care. Um, getting opportunities to, to know him, get close with him and tell his story uh, was a challenge, but something that I really enjoyed. So I always like necessarily didn't have to talk to him just for a story or an interview. Uh, we would talk about, you know, what's going on or basketball or sneakers or whatever. Like uh, I really enjoyed just getting to know him and, and having him open up in that way where I was able to go to Dallas for his basketball or football camp go to his high school gym, meet the kids at his old school, uh, just stuff like that. Like, that to me, I was probably the, the deepest connection I made with the Niner player. Like, there's still guys on the team I text with and um, I'm friendly with and social media and all that stuff. But, like, uh, to have a guy who's known for being quiet and keeps to himself to want me to be the one to tell his story for him uh, really meant a lot, and I, I consider Mike a, a good friend. So that was a, a really fun experience for sure. That's kind of surprising. I, I I wouldn't expect Crabtree to be really um a, a really outgoing. Well, I guess you said that he was kind of shy, but but um, I expected somebody like Joe Staley. And Joe, Joe's awesome. I mean, he's he's hilarious. But that's uh that's really insightful. And I don't think a lot of people knew that about Crabtree about the way that uh, that he is off the field because we hear all these things and uh you know the Richard Sherman thing and all this other stuff. But you know, I, I think that paints a pretty accurate picture. I followed him as well out of college too, and and that's kind of the kind of the guy that he is and nobody really knows that well yeah i mean tom to be super honest with you like there's there's two personas that a football player will, will wear two masks it's like there's their media trained self and then it's that's themselves like the way they are and the, most of the, like the 90 percent of the guys will be very conscious of how they present themselves and i need to stay like this i need to look like this i need to you know emphasize these things and then there's players that just kind of don't give a damn and they'll just keep it real and they'll just be themselves and they won't front and they'll not change they won't have to worry about oh i need to act like this because the cameras are on and mike's that way like he's just who he is like if i were to talk to him in conversation and then the camera just shows up out of nowhere he's not going to just switch up and become a different person so um I, you know guys you mentioned that they're all they're all friendly and nice, but they're they're there's some of them are, are more wise to their brand and their persona and how they present themselves. And when you see Michael Crabtree talk, whether it's with like the Raiders now or whatever it is, like he's just himself. Like he's not he's not sugarcoating it. If he if he feels a certain type of way, he's just gonna say it. And uh, I really respect that about him because a lot of the NFL players are so focused and they're so overtrained by the PR staff on just how to handle things and how to mitigate damages and how to not call people out it's like it becomes fake news phony quotes at that point so people like crabtree that are just themselves and they're they're comfortable in their own skins they'll say what they want to say like i uh, really respect that and again the guys who are in the league the longer they get the more they just lose that filter of like i need to watch what i'm saying so people like ahmad brooks even staley now like you'll see staley is way more candid bowman guys who are vets in the league they're gonna be way more candid than they were when they first got Team. Taylor, what was it like covering the draft when you were part of the organization? How close were you to what actually went on in the war room? Um, it varied. There were times where we sort of in the Harbaugh years, we were we worked close, like literally right outside the hallway. So we were in sort of an area, like a, a conference room where coaches would pop in and tell you stories like, oh, I wish we would have got that guy or this guy's going to be better than this guy on our team. So there was a lot of that where you kind of got some really inside baseball moments. Um, but then also, too, like covering the draft is, is pretty tedious. And I'm not going to lie, like I really enjoyed not doing it this year. Like <laughs> draft a player, 
you have to find pictures, make graphics, update his bio, to write a story, research him. Like it's a lot of work. And after the first two or three picks, you treat everybody the same. Like they essentially, yeah, the first pick's going to get a, a press conference and he's going to get more coverage. But like, if you look at what the Niners do for every draft pick, like they're getting, they're making each guy look like he's a superstar, whether he went to what this school or that school. So uh, a lot of that can really wear on you. And uh, Kegley and I like to joke that it's, uh, you know, we, we sort of have draft nightmares. Like you're waking up in the middle of the night and you think you're on the clock still because with Trent or whoever, you're trading back, you're trading up. You, all of a sudden you think you're able to have a sandwich and like have a little break. And then all of a sudden you're on the clock again and you're about to post a bunch of stuff. So, um, the draft from a team employee perspective is a grind. I would say all media people probably look at it like it's a, it's a, you can't wait for the draft to get there because you're tired and bored of like the same hype stories. And then once it gets there, you're like, I can't wait for it to end because it's a nonstop, uh, you know, data entry summit or data entry fest. So yeah, there was, there was times where we got to, we got pretty close to the Harbaugh coaching staff and they would pop in and tell us about some of the draft picks and give us some candid feedback and candid uh, stories and things like that. But no, we were never in the draft room. Like Trent, his MO was like very anti-media. So the the things that you saw them do on the website this year, where they were filming the entire phone conversation, um, that would never have, have been a Trent Baalke uh, approved content piece. So the fact that they're able to do that is a uh, props to uh, John Lynch for having some, wherewithal to understand like this is good uh good moment to document for historical purposes and you talked about the, the some of the picks that uh, were, were happening when you actually were were you know behind closed doors of the team and and not necessarily in the war room but but in the same building were there any and was there any time where you guys kind of looked at a pick and were just like what the hell is bulky thinking and everybody was kind of thinking that but nobody really said it to him. was it was there any time that that happened or is this kind of just like a media creation where people just think that uh others behind closed doors didn't agree with Trent Baalke and his drafting yeah I mean I, I don't really want to speak for other people because that's just I don't really feel like that's not really my place but yeah there were times where I specifically was like I mean I'm just like you like I, I'm a fan of the team I grew up going to games and all that and like when I see Chikwaski Tart and I uh, I got to know Jaquaski, I really like him, but at the time, you're like, who is that? Well, like, why do we need another safety? We have Bethay, Reed, and Jimmy Ward. Like, what's that going to do for us? Um, there's, there's, uh, and I shouldn't single him out because he's not the biggest one, but like trading back up to get Josh Garnett last year, uh, we thought it was going to be Miles Jack or uh, a quarterback or somebody else like that. So there's just times where you're questioning, like, why, why did we make that move? And uh, when we drafted Jimmy Ward, nobody had heard of him. Um, you get caught up in reading the mock drafts. You get caught up in the, the teams that you see on Saturdays um, that are playing for BCS and bowl games. So ultimately, you can't you can't get too too high or too low uh, because some of these players that you never heard of end up being really good a couple years later. It's it's hard, but you want that instant gratification, especially working on like digital. Um, you want to draft. Um, a Jared Hayne or Colin Kaepernick, somebody that is just like instant media buzz, like instant article clicks, headlines, like that makes you look good because your website is performing so well because everybody is interested in this player drafted. So yeah, there was a lot of times where we're like, who the hell is this guy? Um, and I wouldn't say like, oh, the front office disagree. I mean, I, I cover the team for the team's publications or website. I wasn't like, 
I was a scout that disagreed directly with my boss. So it's a little bit of a different uh, discord or if you, if you look at it that way. So looking at this year, who would you say is your favorite pick? Al and I, and, and for our listeners who have been listening all the way through, we have our own draft crushes, <clears throat> Ruben Foster. Um, but uh, we have our own gra- draft crushes and, and, and favorite picks and everything. But who is your favorite pick that the 49ers had this year? Yeah, I was going to make a, a joke about like who they got in the sixth or seventh round, but like I don't know any of them. I know one guy's name is PETA, so I wouldn't say PETA is my draft crush. It, it has to be Foster. Uh, Foster is the guy that harkens back to the Patrick Willis feelings and went early, early Bowman, so just super athletic, linebacker who's just unafraid, looking to just throw his neck out there and make some big plays happen. The Niners really desperately need that. I don't, I'm not too fond of Solomon Thomas. I know he's a good guy, and he's going to go to all the charity events and really represent the, the Fortnite brand in the best way possible. But, like, this team needs, like, rough and tough, mean, nasty dudes. And uh, obviously guys who aren't stupid and getting arrested, but they need some toughness. And um, Ruben, Ruben Foster, uh, Ferrari Foster, great social media name. I think he's the type of guy that really can make a splash uh, early if he if he's on the shoulders and all that's good. But I think they'll, you'll probably remember that pick a lot much more than, than Solomon Thomas for sure. And if you, were, if you would have flipped it and said five years from now, I think most people will say they got Solomon Thomas was the 31st pick and Ruben Foster was the third pick. You sound just like Zane and I. We said the same thing. We 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 weren't <laughs> high on Thomas at all. We we loved Ruben Foster. And listen, I I don't think Thomas is going to be a, b- a bad player, but I just thought at three, yeah, I thought it was a little bit crazy. But despite that, there's there's still there's so much excitement around what Lynch and Shanahan have done so far. Do you think those two have what it takes to turn it around once they actually start playing games? Yeah, you know, um, it's hard to say. Like. These guys have what it takes based on Pierre Garcon and, and two good first round picks. Like it's got there's a lot that has to happen. Um they they need to make the right choices on evaluating people on their own talent. You don't wanna let players go and then all of a sudden they, they blow up on other teams. So um they've they've they're getting great recognition for smart trades, smart signings, uh, being willing to to turn the roster on its head and, and, and try new things out and just see who the best people are, but it's going to be a process. And the fact that the UFC six-year contracts will make it so they will be around, they won't be rushed out of town like some of these other guys have been. But I, I can't sit here and definitively say, like, it's going to be all good. I have a big I have a big question on how the defense is going to be. We know Kyle Shanahan can run a successful offense and put points up, but who's that quarterback? And then on the other side of the ball, can this defense actually get off the field on third down and not get gouged on the, in the run game? So they have a lot of questions defensively. They don't have a quarterback. Like, you can't sit here and say that Kyle Shannon and John Lynch are going to identify that and fix it all um, in a matter of time. I will say Adam Peters has been really impressive from what I can see, what I've been able to read. Like, I think getting him on board has, has made me feel a lot better about having John Lynch as the GM. The fact that you have a guy with great, credible background with, with the Patriots and the Broncos, that makes me feel a lot better about the, the player scouting side of things. The coaching side feel pretty good about that with Kyle Shanahan, but again, they need to identify a quarterback, and they're going to have two to three years to do that. So Taylor, we've both Al and I have had a chance to listen to the Taylor Price Talk podcast, and you're pretty open about your views on the team. And is that is that kind of a refreshing change for you as uh, compared to what it was before? Absolutely, you know, and and it's not a knock on the Forty ers or 
the way that the way that is. It's just it's a more of a personal thing. And you look at any NFL team website or any any company website, you're not going to take shots at your own your own teammates or your own brand. That's just bad business. So there's nothing wrong with with um, you know the, the San Francisco Giants not talking about them losing all these games and having a slow start to the season. Now there's a way to frame it. There's a way to to share it, but I, I just found that it was it was more increasingly harder when you knew that it was going to take more time for this thing to get back to where it was. And it's been really fun just to be open and honest and just like get back to see something about sports, feel it, talk about it, and then put it on put it on wax, put it on a record. Like a lot of these conversations and these takes we would have in the hallways or like off camera, but when it was on camera, it was all business, it was professional and. Now it's just a function of just getting back to like water cooler, like get somebody in the media that you're friends with and just having an open conversation the way we would talk in the locker room, um, having that on record for people to really get a sense of like, this is what the people that cover the team feel about the team. Uh, and I would include myself in that bunch. Like just because I wasn't reporting everything didn't mean that I didn't feel that way or didn't um, have that sentiment. So uh, it's been, it's been very fun to do and, I'm I'm really uh, appreciative of guys like you at the Web Zone and and folks that follow me still on Twitter that are, are supportive and and like looking for more content. That's it's been really fun. I, so I will keep it going because I do I have a lot of you know stories and memories and whatnot, but also just insight on like the how and why things happen and and look forward to continue to share that on the podcast. It's pretty nice, isn't it, to be able to, you know, if you want to just drop an F-bomb and say this guy sucks. It's pretty, it's a pretty good feeling, isn't it, to be able to do that and not have to worry about any ramifications. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I try to be classy. I don't, I don't, my mom listens, so I don't want to, you know, <laughs> piss her off. But yeah, you know, it, it's nice when you don't have to be worried about who's listening. I think there's a lot of great podcast competition content. I think I've really understood that, like, the last few months, just really it's a really fun time to be creating audio content and just sharing conversations like there's no shortage of listening to good 49er banter so it's been fun and you know when there's, when there's a time to swear and you're talking to Antoine Bethay and he tries to censor himself and you can say hey man this isn't a matter podcast like you can swear all you want and <laughs> he actually does it like that was a lot of fun so I it's just having it's just a real conversation you know you're not like guarding yourself on on the powers that be so i really enjoy that that i could just just be myself like the stuff i do on twitter the stuff i did for the team most of that was me like things with my interests my hobbies like food or music or whatever like that's me that's what i like to do um but when it came down to like stats about the team like all that is you know what what was needed to be done for the job so now it's back to just being me keeping it real just having fun being myself and i, I love I love being myself. That's that's the best thing to do when you're trying to create content. Taylor, you mentioned the quarterback situation, and I've talked myself into liking Brian Hoyer for a year. You know, just a stopgap. I had to talk myself into it. I'm looking at stats. He's had some pretty good stats lately. Am I crazy? Is this just going to go up in flames? Yeah, man. Like, check yourself in the psych ward. I mean, I, I have a, okay, so I have a little bit of a bias. When I start watching an episode of, or a season of Hard Knocks and somebody is on Hard Knocks, I feel like I have a really good feel for, like, who they are. And Brian Hoyer seems like a really nice guy. Like, you know, if you need somebody to, like, watch your house for the weekend and not throw a house party, like, Brian <laughs> Hoyer is going to watch your house and, like, he's going to sure, feed your like, dog. Your plants yeah. are watered. 
<laughs> yeah, you might come home and like you might have gone to the grocery store before you have like cooked you up. But it's just it's just it's just boring to me. Like I, honestly, like my my dad still has season tickets for the Niners. Like he's not getting rid of them, and like I, you know that's fine. I get that. Like I'm not really excited to go to any of the games next year. Like there's no game that I'm really fired up to go see. Like yeah, the Panthers. Okay, that's Cam Newton, and that's Week One. So Week One is your ultimate hype because the team hasn't proved uh, that they suck or not so you're still optimistic and then you know the Giants are a fun team and Dallas is a fun fun game but like after that it's like I'm not really dying to go all the way down to Santa Clara to watch Brian Hoyer play quarterback like there's other shit I can sorry I'm gonna swear there's other stuff I can do uh with my time in San Francisco like I can watch the game if the game's terrible I can go to red zone right I can go run errands or do whatever else I need to do so um if you want to put it in like can you get excited to Brian Hoyer? Can you go? Would you go drive a mile and spend like 150 bucks to go watch Brian Hoyer play football? And if the answer is yes, then you probably need to get your head checked a little bit. <laughs> so is this just? But is is the end game Kirk Cousins? Like, what do you think they they're ultimately doing at, at quarterback? Because because all this is is a stopgap. This season, I think, is just a pause button at the position. So what do you see as the ultimate solution there, or what do you think they have in mind? Yeah, I, I don't. I hope it's not Kirk Cousins because, again, that to me is like pretty vanilla, basic, middle-tier NFL quarterback. And if you want to be the 49ers you want to be in the Super Bowl, you need to aspire to get one of these top-tier guys. So they should just keep keep uh, investing high capital in, in the draft and, and you know, get next year, if they're, the record is like 4-12 and 12 or whatever it is, they can get uh, Allen or, or – you know, the kid from Rosen, you know, one of those two, because I don't, I'm, I'm not too sold on Sam Darnold just yet, but maybe this year I'll watch USC a little closer. If they can get one of those young guys, have a face of the franchise quarterback, that's what you got to do. I mean, they're never going to become a, a game changing offense if they don't have a, a Matt Ryan running, you know, Kyle Shanahan's offense. And you could, you could hope and wish and want Kirk Cousins all day, but. Last year, they needed to win a game to get in the playoffs, and he couldn't do it. And mostly, Kirk Cousins is going to be probably 25 touchdowns and 8 to 10 picks and probably go 9-7, maybe 11-5, and best-case scenario, and lose in the first round. It's like Kirk Cousins, to me, is not getting you to cold weather, winning on the road, everybody mad at you, like doesn't have the talent to do it. And I could be wrong. I could all you my words gladly, but I think the Niners just need to keep throwing darts. Get a C.J. Beathard in the third round. Um, pick somebody else up off someone's practice squad. Just keep keep bringing in young guys, developmental guys, and hopefully it, it works. Um, and hopefully next year, uh, actually pull the trigger on that quarterback in the first round and don't get a defensive lineman for the third straight year. Just me. That's that's just me. Yeah, I don't think teams really win by overdrafting in one position. And and Al mentioned it before. Or I wasn't too hot on a Solomon Thomas pick. I think he's a nice player, but but uh, I, I don't think they're they're definitely not going to line next year. And I, and I hope it's quarterback or receiver and speaking of receiver, do you feel like they've done enough at receiver to really be competitive? Uh, it looks like it's going to be Goodwin and uh, Pierre Garcon on the other side starting. Is that, is that really enough to, to compete? You know, probably not. Um, but to be honest, I don't think they're going to be <clears throat> a, a high powered offense. They're not going to be an attacking offense. Most likely if, Based on what they have, I think they'll be ball controlled, uh, run the ball, and sort of be a game management on offense. I think Hoyer 
you know, will try to, and, and again, like I could be completely wrong, but based on the talent they have, it doesn't sound like they're going to go five wide and chuck it 50 times a game. So your receivers are important. Don't get me wrong. And they're not, if these two guys probably wouldn't start for most other teams, I think Garcon would, would probably start for a couple, you know, a handful, but they definitely need, they definitely need, uh, you know, players to step up in that position and, I don't think DeAndre Smelter is going to be the one to do it. Jeremy Curley was a nice find for at the end of last year as a slot, but they definitely need to address that position. They didn't do it in this draft. Um, you know, I, I think the kid Taylor out of uh, Louisiana Tech will be could be a nice slot option for Curley once Curley moves on his career. But you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, wishing and hoping that guys will step up, and they need to to go out and get somebody in free agency. Go out and make a trade. Go out and do something to to inject talent. But I think this year, if you look at it with just bits and pieces of what Kyle Shanahan has said in the media, they're just trying to stay above water. They're trying to implement their system, figure out who's good on their team that they currently have, where their weaknesses are, how their coaches are working with the players and, and you know, and getting their scheme in the mix. And then they'll figure it out from there. Um, right now, I think they're just trying to stay, keep their head above water and not be a complete laughing stock. And then they'll look at, which wide receivers, which quarterback, which pass rusher really we can get to, to make this a real valuable or viable team, I should say. Taylor, is Carlos Hyde going to be the man all year? Or do you think Joe Williams or one of these other guys steps in and <clears throat> kind of takes over for him? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. I think the writing is on the wall for Carlos. They drafted somebody. Um, they signed Hightower, who is a credible running back. Uh, and I, you know, an option there. So he he's going to give every opportunity to to be the guy, but it's hard to say if he's going to be the long term play this season. Uh, he hasn't been healthy for 16 games. Um, he doesn't have Tom Rathman there, so there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period with a new running back, a new offense, a new scheme. He's really got to to show he wants it. You know, um, a new coaching staff is not going to give him the benefit of the doubt just because. Trent Baalke drafted him in the second round, and he rushed for 190 yards last year against the I think the Jets. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a brand new slate for him. So he's got to prove it. The the uh, the, the impetus is on him. Bowman, Vance McDonald, a lot of these these guys that we're used to seeing the last few years, like they really got to they got to show out and prove. Um, I'm not at practices, so I can't say what how Carlos Hyde looks like. He's in shape or he's healthy. He had a knee injury at the end of last season, so you really won't see him really cutting confidently until until training camp and, and all that. So um, I wouldn't imagine he's a 16-game, 25 rush, rushing carries per game running back at this stage of his career, uh, which is which is a bummer. You'd expect him to be that. But I think Kyle Shanahan's track record of using multiple backs, uh, you'll you'll see a lot of Joe Williams. You'll, you'll want to see Hightower in there as well. So I don't think Cal, or, uh, excuse me, Carlos Hyde is, is going to be the feature running back this year. I think you'll see more of a uh, group committee uh, handle that, that responsibility. And Taylor, we've kind of reached a point of the show where it's every media personality's favorite thing to do. It's uh, self promotion time, and we're going to ask you. Yeah, we're we're just going to um, you know ask you to to talk about what the Taylor Price Talk podcast is about. Al and I know, but for the, those of our listeners that haven't uh, had a chance to to listen to your podcast, can you tell us you know what it's all about and and why you're doing it and where fans can find it? Yeah, of course. So it's Taylor Price Talk. It's available on iTunes. If you just want to listen to it at work, whatever, you can, you can get the links off my uh, Twitter bio, at Taylor Price. I tweet the links as they come up. 
and really it's an opportunity to talk to people in the media, people that you read that cover the team. Um, some of the folks have their own podcasts, former players, Coach Harbaugh was on it. Um, they're really just conversations, like the, the same people I would talk to on a day-to-day basis as a beat writer for the team, uh, really just trying to continue those relationships and, and have fun with it. Like It's my sense of humor, but also the information that I would want to know as a Niner fan and really relying on the folks that are still connected, still there to, to give the updates, um, what they were experiencing when they – went to a practice or what they, you know, felt like when they lost a game or were part of a, a team or a moment. So um, doing those regularly, been doing them the last few months, and we'll continue that. And you said it's the off season, so it's a little bit of a dry time, but I'm going to go back in the archives here soon, and we'll talk to some folks and look back on some specific moments uh, from the past. I think those are fun. I like those podcasts that don't necessarily pontificate on the future. Um, those Those are all good and fair, but also fun to look back on memories that people, everybody experienced and get some inside baseball knowledge on that stuff. So uh, we'll be doing some of that. So Taylor Price Talk, it's available on iTunes. It's also on vsporto.com. They're the ones who, who put it up and uh, support me doing it. So it's uh, it's been a great experience, and I look forward to continue it. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. No, no problem, before, Taylor. Before we let you go, um, I heard you do a really good bulky impression. Mm. <laughs> You know, actually, it might be even better now because I've been talking a lot and uh, not only water. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a great honor to, to come on to your podcast and uh, <laughs> talk about my experiences with the organization. Uh, it's a proud tradition for the, the 49er franchise, and uh, I I just really appreciate uh, you know the time that I was given here with you, you, you fine gentlemen. I hope your ACLs are healthy and. <laughs> I wish you guys nothing but the best. Uh, thank you very much. So well, good. Taylor, Ta- Taylor, you know, we just thought he had a ton of potential and the ACL doesn't bug us that much, but we're just trying to build a team here. What do you, what do you feel about that? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you just, you just keep throwing the dark at the dark board and you, it's a projection. It's always a projection with you guys. Yes. Yeah, the same shit. It's a projection, uh, and you're trying to you're trying to connect the dot of the dartboard, and uh, I don't know. I'm never gonna work out. It gotta go. My God, I can't even. I'm not even gonna try. You guys are too good. I'm not even gonna try. Taylor, this was awesome stuff. We really appreciate your time, buddy. Of course, of course. Anytime you guys want to talk, hopefully there'll be uh, more more things happening down the road. So uh, my line is always open for you guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks that. so much, Thank Taylor. You. Much appreciated. Right, th- Thank you so much. Thanks to Taylor. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you. Uh, For Zane, this is Al. We'll see you soon. Bye, guys.